Thanks, Frank. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, again, my name is Sean, and uh, if, if you, let's be honest, if you've kind of come to Arcadia for a while, um, the name Sean is, is pretty common. So um, you can call me Mr. Connery or, or Diddy, whatever you want to do. Um, but uh, honestly, I, I am, I'm very excited to be here. And I want to say this kind of out front. I know I don't know a lot of you guys. My wife is Candace, and we have two boys, Corbin and Titus. Um, and so I want to say this. Because of my natural inclination to be very introverted at first, um, I want to challenge and just kind of throw this out to you. If I don't know you, can you please just be like the bold one and come introduce yourself to, to myself and my wife? That would be awesome. Um, and so I'll, I'll kind of do the, the talking up front and tell you my story uh, real quickly so you know I'm just not coming from... Anywhere, we were born and raised in Phoenix, both my wife and I. Um, I, was, I was born in the heart of Phoenix. And when I say that, it was everywhere. Uh, I spent uh, a big portion of my childhood in Sunny Slope, Arizona. Um, Sunny Slope, Arizona, that's like its own city. Um, it's the hood where I'm from. Um, and, uh, and both of my parents, and this is kind of important to my story, both of my parents um, are uh, drug addicts. They, they, uh, I was born and raised in, in a very broken home. They were never married. And because of that, obviously, you can imagine what that looks like a little bit. Um, and, and here's how my story goes. So my seventh grade year um, in, in junior high, I, I'm done with school and I get home from school and my mom, granted, she, she's on meth. Um, and if you know anything about those who do meth, uh, she had spent the last year building a car by hand, um, really not sleeping. And so she's like, we're going to drive to Texas. I'm like, okay. Um, so we get in this car, which she painted pink, and uh, we drive there and we roll in to spend a summer with my aunt. And here's how it happens. Um, she has a boyfriend there, and, and um, about two months in uh, spending this summer, uh, it's, I don't know, fourth or fifth time that I had experienced a drug bust in my life, but um, helicopters, cars roll in um, and take my brother and sister and I, and uh, we go to a foster home, and my mom and my mom's boyfriend go to prison. And uh, um, I'd spent some time in a foster home there, and my dad was in jail at the time, so I had to wait till he got out of jail, and he eventually came and got me from Phoenix uh, to pick me up uh, from Texas. My brother and sister had to stay because uh, they have a different dad who is in prison for murder. So we have an awesome family tree. And um, what this looks like, essentially, is I'm brought back to Phoenix one night. Um, my buddy and I are playing Twisted Metal. Okay, I'm just saying, throwing that out there for those of you who know what Twisted Metal is. We're playing a video game, and, uh, and he, you know, it's like 3 in the morning. We lay down, and he asks me a question. And it's not intentional on his part at all, but he basically asks, hey, do you think we're going to heaven, Sean? And I go, yeah, we're going to heaven. We just beat Twisted Metal. Um, and so, <laughs> so, so we're kind of talking through this, and, and what this looks like, and, you know, I'm a good, we're good people, yada, yada, yada. And he begins to tell me um, the stories his mom, who was also a drug addict, would tell him as, as he would go to sleep. She had died when we were 12 years old. And he begins to just unpack the book of Revelations. Um, so she was obviously all about Revelations. And he tells me, and he's like, it's like an hour-long conversation. He's like, all right, good night. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I don't sleep that night. I get up the next day. I'm like, bro, wake up. We're going to church, okay? So we roll into this tiny little church. There's a, a lady with white hair, maybe 70 years old, and she is bringing the fire, okay? Um, and we are sitting in the back the whole time. And all I know is I make my way up front. And that night, because um, we waited till, to, to go that night, that night God calls my name. And I re remember I, and I had taken a million showers up to that point. Maybe not a million. I was, I was still in junior high, so maybe like five. Um, I, I, I'd taken a ton of showers, but I had never felt clean on the inside. And I remember walking, feeling like I, I was floating home. Um, and from that, that time, my life has, has never been the same. I, I went on to go to Shadow Mountain High School, go Matadors, and we uh, eventually, when I say we, I eventually met my wife, Candace, who was a cheerleader um, at the time, and I was playing basketball. Hollywood always asks us for our story. Um, and uh, so she's like, hey, I'm like, hey, you know. Um, um, no, I was like on the bench. I was like, hey. Um, so... <laughs> 
So we, we meet, we end up um, uh, getting married, and we have two boys now. Uh, at the time, God had, had saved us and brought us to uh, this church that was really awesome. It's a, if you've ever been in a charismatic church, um, it, was, it was where it was at, right? So we're going through this whole process. I eventually become a pastor on staff, and I get to lead different ministries, the youth pastor and, and the missions pastor. And um, at this time, we have a, a, four, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and, and we were just having our sons, um, when eventually we kind of ran into some stuff doctrinally that we, we disagreed with. And so um, I'm having conversations at the time with uh, the lead pastor of Praxis, which is now Redemption, um, and I'm kind of talking with him, and uh, I, I have on my heart that we want to plant uh, somewhere, plant a church somewhere. And eventually, uh, he's like, dude, come over, we'll, we'll get you planted, and we'll walk through that. And so um, that's what it looked like. After about 10 years being out of church, we came, and, and we really came to redemption to, to plant. And our goal is, uh, if God doesn't change anything, which you know God, he, he's awesome like that, um, our goal is to, to, to go towards Lake Havasu City. And I know your immediate question is like, why Lake Havasu City? I'm like, because he's telling us to go. Um, because Spring Break and the London Bridge both need removing from um, uh, Lake Havasu City. Um, and so, so we want to go there and we want to, to plant a church. And, and that's where our eyes are set. And God's really building us here. And so it's a good time. Um, and it's awesome. We're glad to be here. But that's my story. I would love to hear your guys's. I didn't mean to take so much time. I know we're here to talk about Jesus and not me. But I wanted to throw that out there. So we are in First Peter, okay? And... Um, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, this is our third week in it. And I, and I want to take some time to kind of summarize before we get there. But before we do that, I think there's something that we need to do. There's kind of a, a ball that needs to get rolling. And I want to bookend what we're going to talk about today um, with this idea. The, the man who writes First Peter, okay, in the Gospels as Jesus is on the earth is an epic failure, okay? Uh, uh, Luke, or not Luke, um, Frank had talked about this last week, but both in Luke and Matthew, you have story after story after story of this man um, disregarding who Jesus is in front of a little girl. Um, he goes back to doing what he did after Jesus had left, so on and so forth. He just was a failure. And, and I want to start by saying that because here's the thing, that should be epic good news for you, okay? That should be unbelievable good news for you. That the same man that, that wrote the words that we're about to read, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was an unbelievable failure. And so maybe you're sitting there today thinking, I'm not good enough for God. I've done this over and over. And let me just say this. That's God's MO, man. Over and over and over, he continues to use people by the world standards that are not good enough, have not done enough. You have people who sleep with other men's wives, okay? You have people who whine over and over and over again. People that lie, people that cheat, and God says, I'm going to use you. And so we get to, at this point, 1 Peter, we find ourselves with this man giving us this epistle, and he's not the same that he was in the gospel. And so something had happened, and that's what I want to start with. So there is something, as we read the Bible, there's something kind of twined through this whole thing that we have to get, okay? Because today is going to cause an extreme amount of tension within our soul. And here's the idea. The Apostle Paul, um, who is uh, also, just FYI, was a murderer who killed Christians. Anybody murder anyone? Don't raise your hand if you did. Um, okay? <laughs> so if you've, ever, uh, if you've, if you've uh, ever read the Apostle Paul's uh, stuff, Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians, well, in Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 6, he makes this declaration, and he's talking about the gospel and what the gospel has done. And he says, uh, the gospel has come to you, okay, just as it has the entire world, okay, and is growing and bearing fruit just as it is in you the day you've heard it and understood it in truth. And so here's his declaration. 
geographically, okay, geographically, horizontally, the gospel, which starts in Israel, is growing. It's, it's starting in Israel, it's moving from Jerusalem, and it's spreading. And we can go in any direction, but let's say we, we head northwest, and it makes its way into Ephesus and Antioch, and we make our way into to Rome and the rest of Europe, and it's growing. And the Apostle Paul is saying this, the gospel's going, man. Geographically, it's growing. At the same time, it's bearing fruit everywhere it goes. So here's his declaration. At the end of the day, we can see tangibly what the gospel looks like and what it's doing because it's taking over territory. But not only is it taking over territory, it is growing everywhere it takes over territory. And then he makes this remark, just as it is in you. And and, and today, there's the challenge, right? Because today, Peter's going to to kind of come right out and he understands this extreme tension that if God is an all-consuming fire, then hear me, he will not stop burning if he has something to burn. If he's all-consuming fire, he will keep going and he will keep consuming all of who we are. So 1 Peter um, uh, goes at this and it starts in, in verse 13 and Peter gets this idea obviously a little more than most knowing who he was and who he now is and he picks it up and he, he talks about immediately what we need to understand moving forward and then we're going to stop for a second and talk about something. So this is what he says in verse 13 as Eugene read, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded. I, I want to come back and, and unpack this and we're going to spend most of our time on the first three verses and then we'll kind of go through. So Don't worry about the time. Um, So here's what this looks like immediately. He's going to say, prepare your mind for action and be sober-minded. And and we don't need to get into the nuances of what that looks like. Long story short, he's saying, prepare the loins of your mind. Because not a lot of us know what loins are. He's essentially saying, listen, put your work work boots on, buddy, because it's time to go. Okay? saying, get your running shoes on because we're about to be active in what we're doing. And to do so, I need you to prepare right here. I need you to get right here. I need you to understand what's going to take place. Okay? And because of this, there's an extreme amount of action that needs to go down. And at that point, I need to stop. Um, if we go any further and we talk about what we're going to talk about without laying a certain foundation, as Peter has in the first 12 verses, we can find ourselves in a legalistic, pompous, pharisaical mindset, thinking that it's our own righteousness that gets us there. And so here's what Peter has been unpacking for 12 verses. And I don't know, man, I don't know your worldview, but because we're in church, we hold obviously to a biblical worldview. And here it is. Whether you want to believe it or not, there was a day when God made man. Okay? And when he made this man, he made him for multiple reasons, uh, such as to be in joy, to spend time with him for his glory over and over. And he names this first man Adam. And looking down on Adam, he says, man, I'm all yours. This is all yours. Go at it. He gives him work, he does jobs, and it's enjoyable. And here's the thing. Adam, in the midst of who he is, and this is all you need to know of the story, chooses not God. So in the midst of who he is, he has everything. He chooses not God. And every single person from this point feels the weight of that. And and, and you may think that's not fair, but we all walk in that reality. The truth is, whether you want to admit it or not, our children's children's children will what? They will be paying off debt that they never spent. 
Okay, so, so we get this idea that ultimately our kids, our kids' kids will feel the weight of our choices. I mean, on a micro level, you can take and uproot your family and move to another city, and your kids, not by their own choice, will be raised in a different city than they would be today. Correct? So ultimately, you get to affect what your kids' kids' kids were going to do, and this is what happens with Adam. And not only, hear me, not only is his relationship with himself broken, his relationship with creation broken, his relationship with his fellow man broken, but at the end of the day, more importantly, his relationship with God is broken. And there is a begrudging, trudging through the mud in the Old Testament after this. You constantly find Israel failing. You constantly find man over and over. Genesis 6, 5, it says that uh, God looks down on earth and he sees that the thoughts of man are continually evil. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart of man is naturally wicked. So you can see where this is going. Later even in the New Testament, Ephesians 2, that by nature we are children of wrath. So you can see what this looks like, that we are broken people. And we know this. I mean, we experience every time someone dies, every time we're hurt. I mean, what this looks like to to go through pain. We know that for something, this isn't right. And walking in this and going through this, there's at the same time, we find Israel broken. There's, There's this other undercurrent that happens. And right after Adam, he falls in Genesis 3. God makes the first gospel declaration. And he says, listen, I know that you've fallen, but I promise you I'll make things new. And so through the course of this awfulness that is us seeing what Israel and man goes through in their brokenness, he constantly saying, yes, I know, I'll make it new. Yes, I know, I'm going to make it new. And so what happens at the apex in in what we know in our worldview story is this, that though man is given rules to be close to God, he cannot succeed. And he tries with all of his might. He looks at the law and he says, I can do this, I can do this, I can't do this. And he tries and he tries and he fails and he fails. And God looks down and he sees this. He says, you're never going to be good enough. I know you can't fix this, so I'm going to have to. And so God, before the foundations of the earth, as as declared in in Ephesians 1, he looks down, okay? He sees how these things need to play out, and he knows what he needs to do. And in this moment, it's real important um, because a lot of us have heard this story and we become callous to what it looks like. And so I thought it would be good to read out of a children's storybook Bible, the Jesus storybook Bible, which tends to be like the cool parents Bible right now, so I'm kind of into it. Um, it. It has this passage of the Tower of Babel. If you don't know what the Tower of Babel is, at one point in Genesis, man actually, hear me, physically tries to make a way to God. Physically. So they're spiritually at times doing it, but at one point, man physically tries to make a way to God. He makes this gigantic tower, and God says, that's not how I want it to go down. And this is how the, the Jesus storybook um, Bible says it. It's, it's really awesome. It says this, You see, God knew no matter how high they reached, however hard they tried, they could never go back to heaven by themselves. People didn't need a staircase. They needed a rescuer. Because the way back to heaven wasn't a staircase. It was a person. People could never reach up to heaven, so heaven had to come down to them. And so there's the declaration. God knows this. And and, and to us, we kind of see a borderline dilemma with this because the problem is... um, Psalms 51 says that we're we're born into iniquity. So even by our very nature, the things that we do, even if they're good, are out of the wrong motive. So so we can try and try, and God says, okay, I need to make this right. The problem is you have to be punished. There has to be punishment because that's sin. That's against me, and, and I'm not okay with that. And so because this is against me, I have to act on it, and I have to pour wrath. But at the same time, I am unbelievably merciful. And so he's holding these two things in his hands. You deserve punishment, but I desire to forgive you because I'm merciful. So this is what he says. He says, I am going to absolutely bring the pain. 
I'm going to bring the wrath. I'm going to do what I need to do when it comes to the aspect of who I am in that part. At the same time, I notice and I see that it can't happen the, the way that you want it to. So I'm going to bring the wrath. I'm just going to bring it on my son. And so what happens is um, he becomes a man and he experiences cosmic abandonment. Even at one point, notice he says, God, why have you forsaken me? So he feels the weight that we should all have felt. And because of this, God, in his pure genius, okay, he says, here's the thing. I came to fulfill the law. So all those rules, I did it. Done. All the Levitical practices, I did it. Done. It's over. Because I beat it, I get to set the game now. And here's the new game. That old covenant was this way. You had to do, you had to do to get and get, and here it all is. At the end of the day, all you need to do is look to me for your salvation. There's the new covenant. And so we get to to look back in hindsight and recognize this and walk in that poetry. The problem is, and and, and for us today specifically, um, is that is not what this specific passage um, is about. Like he's been summarizing, he's been going through and and, and talking about this, but today that's not what this passage, this passage isn't about what grace is. is to us because I, I feel like um, as Americans we're, 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 we get grace. A lot of us get grace real easily, and some of us struggle with it a lot. Some of us do some goofy things with it a lot. But at, at, at the same time, I think for most of us, we get that. We know that story. The thing is that our passage today isn't what grace um, is to us. Ultimately, our passage today is what grace should do to us. Okay, so if you're sitting here saying, man, I fully accept the gospel and all that it is, that it is good news and that I can't do things on my own. If you accept that fact, then hear me. You don't make things like, it's my life, I can do what I want. Because here's the tension that you're living in in that moment. If, if you accept all that Jesus has done for you in that the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ, if you're walking in that, okay, you have to understand that something should happen. Uh, Pastor Ricardo in the... Uh, preaching collective all the teachers and future teachers we get together uh, once a week and we talk about what we're going to talk about uh, a couple sundays from that point and and i think he said it perfectly in a moment he just says here's the deal that's a spiritual impossibility okay so let me say it like this you cannot have the gospel and not do anything proverbs six twenty seven says can a man hold a fire close to his chest and not be burned the idea that can you be, be affected by that? Can you be affected by who God is and not be affected? I, like, think about it. Walk through what that looks like. And so, so for us, we get to kind of see um, the effects and how Peter's going to push us uh, in the thought that things should happen. And so I want to start there, and we need to start with the gospel, because if you lose this idea, some of you guys are going to think that you're changing yourself, and you're not. Some of you are going to do things because you're white-knuckling through it. And that's not what he wants. He makes a phenomenal um, uh, gesture in Hosea 3.16 where he says, you'll no longer call me master, but you'll now call me husband. He doesn't want you to begrudgingly come to church. You're at perfect attendance. I don't want to be here. I'm missing the Packers game over and over and over again. No, listen to me. He wants your heart, man. He wants who you are. And so, so Peter gets this and he says, if that's the case, then we should be affected moving forward. And so that's what we get um, in the next verse. So as he says this, um, obviously reminding us of this uh, next part in verse 13, that preparing our mind and setting it for action, he says, setting your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So everything that I just talked about, and then he says, moving forward, and this is what he says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former 
ignorance. Okay. Um, here's the the here's the here's what we don't like to walk in. Okay. So um, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed my time at Arcadia. So so I spent some time a year at Tempe, and we've been here. My wife and I and family been here for six months. And here's something really cool that you don't. A lot of us just skip past. That's really awesome at Arcadia. At Arcadia, we have one man who is literally alive when Hitler's marching into Berlin. Right. We have one guy who who was alive, a kid at that point, sitting next to someone who is reading the same story in a history book. That our demographic is so wide, and we get to experience this on such a level. And so um, I know I kind of tend to to lean on the younger end of that example. Um, So I I thought how, you know, what this looks like ultimately. So let me kind of just age myself very quickly. When I was in junior high, okay, when I wanted to, to listen to certain music and get my own playlist going, this is how I rolled, okay? So I would take a tape, okay? I'd have to pop it in the stereo, and i have to wait till Power 92's Top 10 Countdown. You know what I'm saying, okay? Okay, so um, I'm waiting till Power 92's Top 10 Countdown, and the song starts, and I hit record and play. I want no scrubs, let's go. Okay, so I'm going down, okay? So what this looks like, the song is ending, the song is ending, and I hit stop, right? And sometimes the DJ would come on, and he'd interrupt, like, Power 92. I'm like, come on, bro. Okay, so I'd hit it and then I'd wait till the next song and I'd hit record and play, record and play. And then I'd have that mixtape, right? And everybody had their mixtape, okay? So that's how I got my music. The other day, my wife Candace is driving in the car, okay? We're, dri- we're not connected to anything. And she's holding her iPhone. Have you guys heard about these things? They're crazy, okay? She's holding her iPhone, okay? And in 30 seconds, she's sitting there thinking, I oh, mean, I want this song. She downloads it. In 30 seconds, she has it, Okay? Call me, maybe. I can't understand. That's the only song I can think of right now. Okay? So, so notice in this small time what this looks like, how drastic that change has been. Now, my son, who is four years old and, and, and Titus, who's two, will grow up in an age where they will have no idea what, the, what even tapes look like. They might even know what a keyboard looks like. Everything tends to look at a touch screen, okay? He is going to naturally be raised, naturally grow up in a time where things are just like that. But there are some of you who haven't experienced it like that. Some of you, um, like the generation before me, Generation X, rocked a boombox. You know what I'm talking about? Boombox on the shoulder, okay? Some of you guys didn't even leave the house. You had like a record, like Frank, he's really old. He like had a whistle that didn't have electricity, okay? Um, so, so what that looks like is, is different for everybody, okay? It's different for everybody. And, and, and here's the thing. Um, when, when he's going to talk about our former life, here's the tension we live in. We are to be pulled from who we used to be, Okay? But this is what you need to understand. At the end of the day, you will never be my son, okay? You'll never be born naturally just sanctified. It is a long, drawn-out process. And some of you will struggle with things for days and weeks and months and years. But at the same time, that we would not be conformed to our former ignorance. C.S. Lewis has a phenomenal quote when uh, talking about this. Um, and, and I think it's great. It's from his book, Mere Christianity. Uh, I would highly suggest to, to read it. Um, and, and this is what he says. It's a longer quote, but, but I, I would just challenge you, just listen to what he says. It's um, very helpful when it comes to talking about this. The terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and your precautions to Christ. But it is far easier than what we are all trying to do instead. For what we try to do is to remain what we call ourselves to be to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life, and yet at the same time, be good. We all try to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping, in spite of all this, to behave honestly, morally pure, and humble. 
And that is exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. As he said, a thistle cannot bear figs. If I am a field that contains nothing but seed of grass, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. If I desire to produce wheat, I must then change, must go deeper. Um, I must be plowed up and re-sown, and that is the real problem in the Christian life, where people do not usually look to be it found. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning and all your wishes and all your hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to the other voice, taking the other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. Now hear this. We cannot do this in a moment at first. It only happens in moments. But from those moments, the new sort of life will be spreading through our system. Because now we are letting him work at first. We are letting him work in parts. But in its difference between the paint, which merely goes laid onto the surface, and dye or stain, which soaks right through. When he said this, be perfect, he meant it. He meant that we must go through the full treatment. But this sort of compromise, we are all hankering for and is after. In fact, it is impossible to do both. So, so here, here's C.S. Lewis's um, proclamation, okay? That at the end of the day, and I think he says it perfectly, um, you cannot just add Christ to who you are. So you're here. This is who you were. And man, some of you cuss like a sailor and you belong uh, ultimately on a comedy central dur- during a, a roast. And, and so you're saying what you want to say. You're doing what you want to do. And now you find yourself all of a sudden, man, why? Now I'm no longer in the shadow of Adam, but, I, Adam, but I've seen the cross and I'm following in the shadow of the cross, and, and I'm moved. And the things I used to say, I don't feel like I can say anymore. The things I used to do, I don't feel like I should do anymore. The things I used to see, and why, these things, for some reason, I don't want to look at those things anymore. So we have our old self, and now Peter's pushing us to not be ignorant, to, to move to our nord, uh, new self, and not be pushed back to that idea. And C.S. Lewis kind of compounds this idea, and he says, he reminds us of the, the Luke and Matthew declaration that we are called to be perfect at the same time. And so th- this is what I, what I would say to this. Um, he, in this moment, if we are cleaned and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, standing um, uh, behind Jesus as we stand before the Father, um, here's what you need to know, okay? You need to act like that. I, I don't mean to be vague, but this is what I'm talking about, okay? If I see a grown 35-year-old man with no kids at the park that I take my kids to, and he's going down the slide, and he's on the swing, he's like, yee, okay? I look at him and say, bro, you need to act your age, that's not who you are, okay? If you were seven, that would be okay. But, but that's not who you are. If you were a little kid, it's okay to act like that. And so here's the declaration. Here's what it looks like for us. That at the end of the day, because we fall in line with the cross, we should act like him. My son, him and I, we, Corbin, we were playing Mario on Wii. Have you guys heard of this Wii thing too? It's crazy. Um, okay? So we're playing Mario on Wii, and um, we beat a level, okay? And I look over to my son, and he goes like this. Okay, and I'm like, okay. Um, now, I have never taught him to pucker his lips, shake his head, and stick out his fist when we beat a level, okay? I've never said, Corbin, this is what we do when we beat a level. Never, okay? 
But at the same time, because he's watched me, I, I looked at him like, dang it, I totally do that after we beat a level, okay? By nature, by him spending time with me, he has begun to just naturally act like me. Have you ever noticed people have sense too? I mean, I'm not crazy about this. Like it, when you were a kid, you'd walk into someone how, someone's house and be like, it smells like Eric in here. Like this is your house. And if you stayed the night at their house, like you'd be taking off your shirt and be like, this smells like Eric. What is going on? I'm not crazy, right? Like people have sense. Okay, maybe I, I believe you smell someone you're like, you smell like Eugene. That's just the truth, okay? Um, so everyone has this scent. And the truth is, the more time you spend with that person, that scent, you kind of smell like them. And that is the declaration that we are standing before God righteous. At the same time, we are moving towards righteousness. And we're feeling the tension. And we're feeling the battle that Paul declares in Romans 7. I, I want to do these things, but I, I can't do them. And I don't want to do this, but I keep doing it. But I keep moving towards the cross. I keep moving towards holiness. And what this looks like for me is I'm, I'm being made holy because I'm spending time with the Holy One. And, and, and that's Peter's next declaration at the same time that we would walk in holiness in that same way. He says this in verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Um, you know, when I had first started playing uh, basketball at, um, at Shadow Mountain, um, my freshman year, we would always start with a warm-up. And, and here, here's what would happen. I, the very first day, I'm, we're running laps. Coach Daggett, the meanest coach I've ever had, pulls me aside and he says, what are you doing, man? I said, I'm just running laps. He says, no, I, I see you're not going all the way around the court. You're cutting corners. And I, I'm sorry, I didn't notice. And he just looks me in the eye and says, here's the deal. We don't do that here. There was an immediate declaration that if you're going to play basketball here, you're going to play basketball our way. And, and the truth is, if you're going to call yourself, please hear me, all this is rooted in grace. This is not legalism. This is not have to. If, if everything that we do, we're, we're pushing towards the cross and we see God for who he is and we call ourselves a child of God, then listen to me, act like it. That we'd be constantly being conformed to his image. That we would lay aside, Romans 12, 1, that we would lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and we would keep our eyes on Christ. So, so he makes this declaration and he goes back to who, who we are and how that conforming um, should look and we pick it up in verse 17. And if you are called... Um, and if you call on him as a father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. And so, so the idea is the same. So I, I want to say it like this because there's something in there um, that he says impartially according to each one's deeds. If grace is what pulls us towards the cross, okay, this is something that we, we, we really don't like to talk about a lot. But if grace is what pulls us towards the cross, you need to understand fear is also what pushes us. The idea that we live in such a way that God is not watching is a spit, uh, is spitting in his face. To, to act like and to walk in such a way that it's my life, I can do what I want, is ridiculous. And that to know at the end of the day, and, and here's what he says, that he who judges impartially, that he is a judge. So in the Old Testament, okay, before the cross, you would have stood before God the Father condemned answering and being judged by how you walked in the law okay but don't get it twisted because after the cross you will stand before jesus totally forgiven but still giving an account for how you handled grace so you need to understand that you need to walk in the tension listen to me because he judges he judges each according to one's deeds what you do, matter of fact, in Matthew, we're, we're told that what we say we will be held accountable for. And listen, he's talking to Christians. Conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. So in the context and what we're talking about, there's disperse. There's all these uh, Christians dispersed. And, and so 
I, I think there's a touch of that, but, but bigger picture, this is definitely um, um, uh, pushing us towards the idea that uh, we now live on earth, but we are not citizens of earth. And so you're in exile here. So you, you don't belong here. So why do you act like every? Like, why do you walk like everyone does? Please hear me that we started with grace. I, um, my fear in going about this passage today that you would hear condemnation, okay? Um, I hope that at the end of the day, you would allow the Holy Spirit to convict you. That godly sorrow um, uh, would ultimately bring repentance. Not worldly sorrow that brings death. And so we, we walk, our, walk this, this faith out in fear, knowing that he will judge us impartially, okay? That we will stand before Jesus Christ for who he is because we have grace now. And he moves us uh, to another reminder in verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. I want to stop there and say this. So he starts with grace. He moves from grace to, to ultimately acting and holiness, so on and so forth. What that acting was ultimately another motivation being fear. And then he gives us another reminder, okay, that here's, here's the deal. Um, man, if you're Italian, you say, I'm just a loud mouth. That's who I am. No, listen to me. You're an Italian that's being conformed to the image of Christ. So if, if, if Christ doesn't want you to be rude, stop being rude. Okay? I'm just Irish. I got a temper. No, listen to me. You're an Irishman who's being conformed to the image of Christ. So he's making a declaration here that that's just how my family is. This is just who I am. And, and he's going big macro level, but that ultimately at the end of the day, we fall in line with Adam, okay? that we shouldn't be walking like that, that we should be being conformed. And he says, we were ransomed from those ways. So, man, I was a slave to doing these things. I wanted to. I was ignorant. But I'd been ransomed from that, and now I stand in this camp. And this camp doesn't play the game like that. And it's important that we understand we were ransomed from the, the ways of our forefathers. So, so moving on, he, he continues to play this idea out. What were we ransomed with? It wasn't with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb which, uh, without blemish or spot. Okay. You were not ransomed by what you did. You were not ransomed by what you could pay. You were not ransomed because you have perfect attendance in 2012 to church. You were not ransomed because you made it to every RC meeting. You were not ransomed because you memorized the Bible, because you prayed. That is not where your righteousness is found. That's not what you were ransomed with. Here's what you were ransomed with. And I love that he gets, pushes into Jesus. Here's what you were ransomed with. A man is, is sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is God and his name is Jesus. And he does not like what he sees. And he's praying. And he's praying so fervently that he begins to sweat blood. And he says, God, please, I, I don't want to play this thing out like this. Take this cup from me. And then he makes the declaration, right? Because we know if you've spent any time in church, what happens next? I don't want to do this, but not my will. Your will be done. And it's the same blood, man, that, that, that pours from his forehead as sweat that he goes to the cross that you and I are forgiven as declared in 1 Peter uh, 1, verse 3, that ultimately at the end of the day, that's how we were ransomed, that's how we were paid for, that now we can live a sanctifying life, that we can make the same declaration. God, man, I don't want to do this. I, I really like her. I really want to go in that direction. But if you don't want me to, I won't. You know, again, this can get lost in a lot of different ways. Um, I think we can kind of lose focus because we can begin to think that 
This looks like if you don't see rated R movies, you're like righteous, okay? I haven't listened to secular music in 10 years, okay? I haven't done this. I've never seen Harry Potter. I don't have demons, okay? All this, all this gets, gets bizarre. It really gets goofy at times. And we think because of the things that we do, it makes us more righteous. And the truth is, here's how this looks, that you're already standing righteously uh, before God. Hebrews 10, 14, uh, 1 Peter 1, 9, that at the end of the day, you're standing before God completely righteous, All we're doing now is being conformed into what our image already is. And so it's important that you remember this, and it's important in the midst of this that we are looking to Jesus because he did it. So you're not serving a God who says, go that way and suffer. That's not who you're serving. Hebrews 14, uh, Hebrews 4, uh, verse 14 says that he's a high priest and, and he's sympathetic. Like, you've ever lost a family member? Yeah, he knows what it feels like. You, you ever been deceived by a friend and, and betrayed by a friend? Yeah, yeah, he knows what that feels like. You know what it's like to, to, to be um, uh, forgotten, what it's, what it's like to be rejected? Yeah, he knows what that feels like. And because he knows what that feels like, he doesn't look at us and say, go down that road. He says, no, no, listen, I've gone down it. Follow me down it. And so now we, we continue to lay down who we are over and over and over again, looking at him because we were bought we were ransomed, rather, as First Peter would say, we were ransomed by his blood and not by what we do. So finishing it out, he does something um, awesome, and he continues to push who the man Jesus Christ is. Finishing in verse, uh, verse 20 and uh, 21. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Um, so we live in the tension, ultimately, as, as over and over, of living in this new living hope, okay? Um, God reminds us through the Holy Spirit, through Peter, reminds us that it's all based in Jesus over and over. He said this, and I think I've recapped that enough, okay? But even in this moment, he says this. He was foreknown before what? The foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. So here's what I want to press in to who Jesus is, okay? Jesus did not accidentally go through suffering. He wasn't just, God wasn't like, oh, okay, yeah, do this, okay? Before the foundations of the world, this is also promised in Acts 2 and Acts 4, he looked, God saw this, and he says, you're going to suffer. That day's coming. And, 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 and I just have news for all of us. We're all following him. And the epic moment of what First Peter is is that we are going to suffer. And some of it is self-imposed in the idea that we are, are carrying our cross, and some of it is not. But here's what you get to fall back into. That it was done before you were born. And I pray that you would trust in that. Um, Frank always does a, a great job when, when, when he finishes. And he, and he does this idea of take-home points that, that I think we all need to, to walk in. Um, and, and I really thought what that looks like for us, especially with this passage. And I really only thought um, two things that, that we can ultimately do with this passage. And, and here's the deal. Again, Rooted in grace. Please hear that this is rooted in, in grace. Um, that, number one, I, I wanted to summarize it, and here's ultimately what he's saying. Please hear this gently, and I graciously say this to you. If you're a Christian in here, stop acting like you used to not be one. And that's may not be how I want to say it. Stop acting like the way you used to be. So, so, so here in this moment, you're a Christian. Okay? Here's the take-home point. Submit what, he, what, what everything he wants to do in your life. And, and, and here's, here's what I say. No one's rolling into church next Sunday, okay? And they're not dragging their foot and saying, oh man, I just got hit by a semi outside. Crazy. 60 miles an hour just slammed me. No one's saying that. 
Because you're not walking in. If you are, you're, 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 you're limping. At best, you're, you're probably being carried in a stretcher if you're not dead. No one is feeling that kind of brunt. No one is experiencing that kind of weight and not being affected. So, so how can we say we've experienced the cross and all that it is, and we've seen the blood and we know and we felt the weight of our sin, say, God, I'm sorry, but it's not me, it's you. And, and, and more than a mat truck, but the power of God, we experience it and we, we feel it and we still do what we want to do. As P. Rick said, it's impossible. Luckily, as a high priest, we don't do this alone. And so, um, in, in Ravi Zacharias's book, the, the Lotus and the Cross, it's it's a book basically where Jesus is talking with Buddha, and, and there's a story of this girl, and, and she's been molested, and she's been uh, thrown into sex trafficking, and she's lost her parents, and um, obviously it's a um, it's not a real story. I don't really don't believe that Jesus talked with Buddha, but um, how this plays out is is they're talking and they're on this boat and they're making this trip, right? And so this girl continues to ask Buddha uh, these questions, and, and and then she asks Jesus these questions, and there's dialogue between all three of them, and they get to the very end, and, and she's kind of torn with this idea, and she says, "Man, this is this is going to be tough." And she makes this this uh, declaration and a question. She says, "Man, I, I guess I can't take you guys home, huh?" And Buddha says, "No, I'm sorry, um, I can't go home with you." And the very last line of the book is, is, is Jesus' statement, and all it says is, I can. That you would know that Jesus isn't some figment of your imagination that died on the cross long ago, but he's, he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's pleading for you. And his, his Holy Spirit has been sent to you to say, you can do this, man. I know this is tough, but walk this thing out. It's not just for the glory of God, but for your good also that we would see this, that we would know this, and we would trust um, him for everything that he is. Uh, my prayer um, for all of us, because the tendency is to, to hear grace and react in such a way that we have license, we can do what we want. But on the other end, we, we tend to be a pendulum, and we tend to, to move to this side and say, well, you know, I, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. Here's what the cross would ultimately say. Um, man, everything is lawful. You can do whatever you want. Okay? You can do whatever you want. Drink the beer. I know, I'm going to get in trouble for that. Uh, watch the movie. Okay? Date that girl. Here's what I'm saying. All things are lawful, but not everything is edifying. So if your goal is to, to constantly make your way to the cross, then shouldn't every question be filtered through that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we recognize that it's not our righteousness, but it's your righteousness that is imputed to us. We fall fully in line with um, your cross. And God, we don't stand in the shadow of Adam anymore, but we stand at the foot of the cross and letting it um, fall on us. That very much like Peter, we're, and we're, we're just we're screw-ups at times. God, we know that it's by your grace, it's by your riches, it's by your power that we are saved. I pray that we would recognize that and that at the end of the day that it's the goodness of God that would draw us into repentance, that we'd constantly be moving in that direction because of your goodness, because of who you are. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you, God, for all of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.